Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Who are we? What's important? And what's going on in our minds when we look at politics? Is there now a far left, a far right, tribalism? How will what happened this week with Fox News and CNN and all the turns, we, how does it affect us? And, and this goes into that. But it, my next guest has done some research on how that tribalism is scientifically or maybe policy-wise adding up. And sometimes in this wacky, crazy world, it is what you think it is. It doesn't line up. My guest is Graham Wright, Associate Research Scientist at Brandes University. Graham Wright, good afternoon. Thanks. What a time as we try to untangle. We're all doing it in around the world. However, in the United States of America, politics and the left and right has become absolutely baffling. Conservatives doing things today. I mean, look at what's happening in Florida. You got DeSantis being sued by Disney. It used to be conservatives believe strongly in companies' freedom of speech. No longer. In your piece on left and right, you You've taken another look. Why do you think that there may be new definitions of this new tribal America? Well, I think, although it's definitely true that if you want to understand how Americans think about each other, um, it does make sense to think about there being the left and the right, that there's a group of people on the left who really don't like these other people on the right. But if you think about the kinds of policies that Americans um, support, that's where it doesn't really make sense to think of it as a as just a line, because there's people who have uh, sort of complex combinations of political attitudes that are not well described by a line that goes from left to right. All right. I use the word tribal and it gets <laughs> used a lot now. But yes. does that does is this what you're thinking here? Because when we look at these tribes, mm-hmm. um, often we say to ourselves, OK, well, you know, they were, they're a tribe. They're on the right. They're on the left, they're conservatives, own the libs and everything. But I think you've kind of really picked up on something. There's an overlapping and an interconnection here. And all we know is there are tribes. We don't know necessarily what their beliefs are. Yeah. I mean, I would say that there are there are tribes in regards to identities and there's tri- and there's a different set of maybe you don't even want to call them tribes, but different groups in regard to what people want the government to do or not do. Um, and it's it's sometimes surprising that even if there even if there really are just two tribes in terms of identities, the the liberals and the conservatives or whatever, um, there's a lot of uh, diversity in terms of the kinds of policies these people in different tribes want, and some of the commonalities can transcend tribes. That the same people in different tribes may want the same kind of thing in terms of policy. All right, I want to ask you this because as we get into it. Is has, did this happen organically, or is this something that was planned, conditioned? You know, we look back over the years in in this new this new phenomenon we see in American politics, where there is loyalty, there is a belief in opinion, people, and lest we say after this crazy week, there is an exclusion of facts. It is more about a centered set of belief. Graham, is this is this something that evolved, or is this is this a weapon? I'll, I'll use that. Is this a new political weapon? 
I mean, I think it's really hard to figure out why big changes have happened in in politics. It's a very difficult question. I will say a lot of the what we're seeing right now um, is you can definitely see echoes of it. It's not a sudden change that um, the tribalism of America has been um, rising in some sense for for a while. Um, at the same time, the different sort of kinds of policy attitudes that that we identify um, also have existed for kind of a long time. And so um, some things have changed, but a lot of the undercurrents are, are not um, have, have been there for a while. All right. What kind of undercurrents there? Are we talking racism? I mean, we saw mm-hmm. the former president, Donald Trump, step up to the plate and the racist comments were thought to be close to bringing him down and they ended up driving him. So one of the things that that people since 2016, when we it was since 2016, it became very obvious that if you want to understand American politics, you really need to understand how people think about race. Um, you can't just think about um, taxes and gay marriage. That that views on race is a distinct element. Um, and what people generally found is, you know, a lot of Americans have always had fairly conservative views on race. Um, prior to Trump, though, they actually. A lot of these people were sort of so disconnected from politics, they didn't really know which party best uh, reflected those views. Um, And by sort of being crystal clear about his views on race, Trump sort of signaled to a lot of these people that that he and the Republican Party were the party for them. So it doesn't necessarily reflect a change in how people are thinking about race, but in some ways it's more of an alignment between uh, racial views and, and, and party how much of a powerful force in in your piece, you know, as you talked about these beliefs that transfer people and overlap, but how much has that that opening and the ability to see that racial opinion they had, how much has that blown up the political landscape here? Well, it's complicated because um, on one hand, you know, we've identified there's a pretty longstanding a group of Americans we call racial justice communitarians who are strongly in favor of efforts to reduce racism. And they're also big fans of government intervention in the economy, but they're a little more um, moderate or conservative when it comes to moral issues. And so these people, um, you know, they tend to support, they often support Democrats because they're aligned with them on on race and on economics, but they they do so with some reservations often because of of their more conservative moral and, and cultural views. On the other hand, you have um, groups, that, what we call nativist communitarians, who are uh, very much uh, worried about, uh, they don't think racism is a big problem, they're scared of immigrants, um, and they tend to be um, you know, in, in favor of abortion restrictions and things like that. But they also very much want the government to step in and, and help things in the economy, and they don't particularly have much faith in the free market. And so while you can, if you're a Republican, you could appeal to them in regard to race, but they're not going to be very uncomfortable with libertarianism and, and free market policies. And so you can see some of this that, um, you know, right now, a lot of um, the Republican presidential candidates, they've been somewhat cagey about their economic views. And sometimes they're cagey about their their moral views on, on uh, abortion as well, uh, partly because the Republican coalition includes a lot of people who actually want the government to do quite a bit. Um, 
And, and that's become almost more true now, I think, given uh, the alignment on views on race. All right, I'm going to throw something else. You know, this is um, we're centering on policy and how people interpret. Is that the old days? The word fear. Mm. There's fear here. There's a yeah. people are frightened to speak out, even within the Republican Party. We hear it over and over again. I reference story of the week, Tucker Carlson losing his job at Fox. We know those <clears throat> messages that were used in the Dominion voting. You know, I hate him passionately. Well, that sure is not what he says. He's, they talked about being frightened of him. And it's very real, Graham. How much do you is this affecting things? And we used to think that people said, how do I feel? about this policy? How does this resonate with me? Is it turned into something else? So I think it's somewhat of a myth that policy views were ever really important in terms of how people voted. <laughs> really? um, and it's always been to some extent about, about fear and identity. Um, and so I want to be clear that um, it's important to understand what Americans think about policies, but that is not what is driving people to vote Republican or Democrat by and large. Um, and the tribal aspect of this, the fact, the, our conception that we are the good guys and they are the bad guys, um, that is far more important than what you think this or that party stands for in regard to raising the debt ceiling or something like that. All right. What did you make of the, the fact that the former president said he won an election? Now we saw it. I mean, considering all those things about policy, how does that play into this? Because that's pretty much the antithesis of anyone thinking government. Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I do think that, that Trump is a fairly extreme uh, threat to democracy. I think the challenge is precisely because we're so polarized. Um, the reason he still has a a sort of it has is pop is popular and has really a chance in, in 2024. A beating heart. He's got a beating heart. In <laughs> well, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the danger is that, you know, if he gets nominated, he has a, he's a Republican and his opponent is a Democrat. And for a lot of people, um, you know, if voting for a Democrat is beyond the pale, then you're going to vote for whoever the Republican is. Um, and, and that's sort of, that's one of the dangers of polarization is it makes it harder to criticize people in your own party because if the other side is so evil and so bad that um then it it suggests that we have to support our side whoever they are and that dynamic is what helped Trump get elected in the first place and it, if he gets elected again that's probably why and it it's worked and it sure. has become a cudgeon to be used. Is there any way out of this, Graham? Because we were <laughs> saying it wasn't always so. How can you discuss the complexities and have a proper conversation about what people need when they are in these camps? And no diner, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to hear any more diner conversations <laughs> trying to understand people. I, and there's something else going on. Well, I think that there's, you know, I don't have a silver bullet, but um, so on one hand, I think if you change the incentives of politicians, that helps a lot of it. That there's. So what um, do you mean? What do you mean change of the incentives? So, How would we do? Um, it's not that everybody in America is a raving partisan lunatic. Um, <laughs> the problem is that the the raving partisan lunatics have an enormous amount of of influence in, in politics because of the way elections are, among other things, part of the way because of the way elections are set up here, and because so few. Um, 
because the primaries matter so much that the and the only people who vote in the primary are the the activists on, on one side or the other. And so if you did change, if you made some sort of structural change in the way elections were done that allowed some sort of ranked choice voting or things like that, and people are working on this, um, then, and you see this, so for example, in Alaska, which did this, um, you'll notice even if, regardless of who wins, the the winner, winning candidate knows that to get reelected the next time, they have to make everybody happy, not just the most rabid part of their own base. Yeah. So that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, I do think that the way that we talk to one another about politics could be better. Um, that do? a lot, I do, in fact. Oh, really? And um, I've never heard that before. <laughs> but I think you know a lot of. I think even when we're talking about politics, we're sometimes we're talking about just trying to persuade people, mm-hmm. and trying to persuade people to change their minds on politics is extremely hard because admitting that you're wrong about politics, they won't do it. Well, it, it hurts a lot. Yeah, it would mean it, it, it would mean yeah. rejecting your entire identity. Mm-hmm. And there's other ways of talking where you shift the conversation from instead of trying to talk about whether this or that policy is bad, try to get an understanding of like, what do you really want and what do I really want and how can we get it? Um, how can I get what I want without in hurting you getting what you want? And sometimes when you do that, you find that there's a way for both of us to get what we want. And now, and even if you don't, even if we we can't find a way to to reconcile our differences, we're still working together to try to find a solution. We're not treating ourselves as adversaries. And right. One more thing I'm going to throw in, because I, I think I, I, I get what you're saying, but that sounds to me, again, the nice old way. Yeah. It, d- does modern politics really want that? There are some who say that the connection to, I don't know, the tough part, the brutality, whatever, it's what people want. There's an anger out there, Graham, that hasn't been there before. And it is being churned up and used sure. and nobody wants it to go away. Well, certainly, again, if you think about incentives, there's a lot of people who <clears throat> um, who are paid very well um, based on the amount of animosity in, in, in politics exactly. and um, or who who owe their political existence to the animosity. And um you know, I, again, I think you have to think of, you have to look at the incentives and figure out what can we do to change change these incentives about why um, you know why animosity uh, sells so well, why it's such a good strategy, um, and 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 that's hard, and it's it's it, I don't have a brilliant solution mm-hmm. to it, but I think understanding that the underlying incentives um, behind this is is a good first step. All right. Final question. And then we're out of time. How does this tie in? We're watching. People are wondering, will things change after Tucker Carlson? This is not just about his show. It's about a lot of that stuff. He was very tribal and he did it very well for that, for the Republicans. Yes. And is this a moment here, in your opinion? Um, <laughs> I guess it's too early to tell if it depends on if he gets replaced by someone who's uh, just another version of, of, mm-hmm. of him or not. Um, but I do think that the whole, you know, Dominion lawsuit, um, et cetera, has shown that there are some consequences to going too far. Um, and, and that is changed some of the incentives. So it's a little less profitable for a, a company like Fox or, or Newsmax to, to do what they did than it was, you know, a few weeks ago. So, uh, that's potentially a, uh, 
a, a nice development, but the incentives have changed a little bit. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.